lectionary readings this uh, Lenten season have been coming primarily from the Gospel of John. You need to make very clear when you read from the Gospel of John that any time there's criticism uh, and they refer to the Jews, that this is not uh, this is this is not an anti-Semitism because this is a book written by Jews for Jews who are disputing among one another as a new uh, as a new movement forms within them. Uh, it is one that uh, does not play into uh, the politics of anti-Semitism, and we need to be absolutely clear about that. Listen now for the good news that comes to us from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, a village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was referring merely to sleep. But then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, well, let us also go, that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. 
When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher's here and calling for you. When she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were there with her in the house consoling her saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They, they followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came to her came with her also weeping, he was angry and deeply perturbed in his spirit. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. The Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again, angry and perturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and the stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. But Martha, the sister of the dead man said, Lord, already there's a stench because he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, sometimes you have a wake-up moment. I had a wake-up moment when I was reading a book by Wayne Booth, a professor at the University of Chicago. Uh, in this book, uh, and it was about the ethics and literature, he asked this question seemingly out of the blue, but he said that the really interesting question in this passage is, what killed Lazarus? What killed Lazarus? That question has just reoriented my thinking and haunted me ever since. What was it that killed Lazarus? So I want to invite you this morning uh, to uh, put on your detective hat, whether that hat come from Agatha Christie or Sherlock Holmes or Perry Mason or Columbo, uh, I, I don't know. But I just want to invite you to play detective as we work our way through this extensive story. First of all, as we look at this list of suspects, first of all, there's Martha. She's not above suspicion. The first thing you recognize about her is she really has a type A personality. If you were to look up the word obsequious in the dictionary, it would say Martha. She hears about Jesus coming. She runs to go greet him. She looks so positive, so obedient, so servile. But the very first thing she says when Jesus arrives is, wow, if only you'd gotten here on time, my brother would not have died. Ooh, you think she's going to hug him and she sticks a shiv in his ribs. 
What would it have been like to have a sister like that? Jesus talks to Martha about the resurrection and she mumbles some certitudes and platitudes and starts to swing and sing in the sweet by and by. She gives a great speech. But when she comes to the tomb of Lazarus, she screeches, don't open up that door, it'll smell. Don't open up that can of worms. We don't want to go there. Makes you wonder about Martha. With all her platitudes about faith, did she have a faith that was so half-hearted that it couldn't really bring any life? Martha's on the list of suspects. Let's go on down the road. We find the chief priests and the Pharisees. The chief priests and the, chief priests and the Pharisees, a good detective, will find out that these two groups have been seriously at odds with each other for a long time. But all of a sudden, we come to them and we find them singing out of the same songbook. They look like old buddies. There's something suspicious going on there. You really do your detective work and you read further in the story past what we read today and you see that, that after Lazarus is raised, uh, these, these two groups are plotting to kill someone. They're plotting to kill Jesus. Did they plot to kill Lazarus? These folks are seriously on the list of suspects. But a good detective does not stop with the most obvious characters. Remember, you, you always want to look at the crowd for somebody who may re return to the scene of the crime. So let's look at that funeral scene where the crowd gathers. They've been weeping and wailing outside the tomb. They're very good weepers, very good wailers. They have pitiful looks on their faces. They've been crying for days, but wander out there among the crowd and see what they're talking about. They're whispering about Jesus. They're whispering about Jesus and saying, hey, this guy was supposed to have cured a blind man, a perfect stranger, so why did he not lift a finger for his good friend Lazarus? And you realize this crowd is cynical. They're hostile. They've got to remain on the list of suspects too. But wait, our detective work is not yet finished. You always have to look at the least likely suspects because maybe there's something going on behind the scenes. So let's look at the disciples, the disciples of Jesus. Now, they were nowhere near the place when Lazarus died, but when Jesus says he's going to that location, something strange happens. Thomas, who later we call Thomas the Doubter, Thomas here isn't doubting. He's full of courage, full of bravado. He says, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. They're going to kill him. Then we might as well go with him. We'll get killed too. Well, that's a strange response. Macho Thomas, who a few days later would show his true colors. And when the going gets rough, he gets out of town. So what or who? killed Lazarus. There's one other clue that our protagonist gives, Jesus. It might explain something. Now, part of this passage was mistranslated for hundreds of years. And in fact, it was Martin Luther who came along, Martin Luther, that bull in a china shop theologian, 
who when everybody else was, uh, was translating this, that Jesus was deeply grieved in his spirit. Luther said, no, that's not what the Greek says. The Greek says Jesus was angry and indignant. So as we come to do our, our detective research, we've got to account for what is it that would make Jesus angry and indignant? I come down with an answer that goes something like this. And, and okay, I'm inspired, uh, maybe not by a biblical theologian on this, but by Agatha Christie's death on a train. Maybe it was all of them. Maybe it was all of the suspects. Not any one of them, but the impact of all of them combined. Death by a million cuts. Maybe it was Martha's contentment with her half-understood faith. A half-understood faith can only lead to a half-hearted hope. Not enough hope to sustain Lazarus in his most difficult time. Maybe it was the false promises of the chief priests. There's the superficiality of their faith, a faith that refuses to think deeply, but yet they seem to have all the confidence in the world that they must be right. Well, those misguided directions in faith are going to end up leading to disappointment, disappointment after disappointment. And maybe Lazarus couldn't live in a world of disappointment. Maybe it was the Pharisees that were part of this problem with their constant judgmentalism. What's it like to be judged all the time? Surely that's got to suck the life out of you. Is that part of what killed Lazarus? Maybe it was the cynicism of the crowd, those people who talk like friends but act like enemies. Maybe it was the hypocrisy of the disciples who, who, who talk a good game but who disappear when the going gets rough. Maybe it wasn't any one of them but all of them together that formed this, this, this culture of death, this, this, this culture that... That, that shrouds life in darkness and doesn't give people the possibility of true hope. They may talk about hope, but when Jesus comes to the cave, what is it they do? They cry out and say, don't open that cave. Don't open that can of worms. We don't want to go there. Maybe it was the way people approached life that's what killed Lazarus. Maybe that's what made Jesus angry and indignant, that he didn't have to die, that he was there a part of, cult, of a culture of living death. Jesus then goes to the mouth of the cave and he says, open the tomb. And he says, open up the tomb, open up the problem, open up and take a look at it in the light of day. Open up and open up that can of worms and let's deal with it. He shouts, Lazarus, come out. He shouts. Who was he talking to? If Jesus was just talking to Lazarus, he could have opened up the cave and whispered to him. But Jesus wasn't talking just to Lazarus. He's talking to that death-dealing culture embodied in all these people around him. 
Jesus is talking to the crowd, to the disciples, to Mary, to Martha, to all the religious authorities. He's saying, Lazarus, come out. He's saying, Lazarus, come out, not just to the cave, but to all of them. Because he knows that they're living in a deathly world. He says, come out. Come out of the dark. Come outside of the tomb. Come out of your living death. Come out of your hopelessness. Come out of your fear. Come out of your cynicism. Come out of your faithlessness. Come out of your arrogance and step into the light, the light of Christ. Because if you do, death will no longer define you. Up till this point, sickness had defined them. Death had defined them. But now Christ speaks. Now Christ defines him. Christ defines him, and that's what raises Lazarus. It's a call to life. It's an occasion for revelation. Jesus' time is limited. He knows his time is limited. He knows his disciples' time is limited. And he says there comes a moment when you have to shout, to have to speak, have to let it be known where the life is, where the light is. Don't worry about death. Only worry about walking without the light. Jesus is going to walk into Jerusalem. That's the story we'll hear in the next two weeks. To walk into Jerusalem, the place where he puts his own life at risk. But he knows that while the world says seeing is believing, the truth of the matter is not seeing is believing. It's that believing is seeing. And so he calls time and time and time again in the Gospel of John, believe, believe, believe in this life, in this light that Christ gives. Believe because he's the lens that helps you clearly see what's going on and what matters most in life. God transcends all the old definitions and categories and ways of thinking about the world with a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing. And you've got to be clear and you've got to be public about this. The theological heart of the story was, is when Jesus says uh, to, to Martha, who says uh, uh, the resurrection by and by someday, he says, no, now, here and now, I am the resurrection. It's a call to life here and now to live with that passion that Christ gives. God's new age has begun now, here, not way off in the future, not, not some, some time after time. It's now, here. Death will not define us now. Death will not limit us, cancel us, count us out or contain us now. It's his voice that calls us to life, to a sense of freedom, because he unbinds us as we come out of the dark and out of the caves, as we respond to his voice and hear that it's a voice for us. I just have to share with you, this passage means a lot to me uh, because my mentor preached this passage on the day of my ordination and installation to my first church. Uh, I, I remember powerfully uh, that, that sermon, uh, in part because he riffed on a song by the Charlie Daniels band, The Devil Went Down to Georgia. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> if you remember that song. Uh, but, but that song was inspired by a poem uh, by the American poet Stephen Vincent Benet. Stephen Vincent Benet wrote about this 
uh, hillbilly fiddler from the hills who came to the county fair. Now this young man was poor. I share with you part of that long poem, The Mountain Whippoorwill, uh, and, and this is by Stephen Vincent Benet. He said, I never knew my pappy, maybe never should. Think he was a fiddle made of mountain laurel wood. Never had a mammy to teach me pretty please. I think she was a whippoorwill, a skitten through the trees. Never had a brother nor a whole pair of pants. But when I start to fiddle, why, you got to start to dance. Listen to my fiddle, kingdom come, kingdom come. The poem goes on, let me just say, then he starts to riff when all the other fiddlers in this corrupt situation where this poor boy has been by himself, he knows what's going on, he sees all these other fiddlers and he recognizes, recognizes the devils nearby. And so he starts to fiddle, he's last at the fair. He fiddles and it says, fire on the mountain, snake in the grass. Satan's here a billin'. Oh Lordy, let him pass. Go down Moses, set my people free. Pop goes the weasel through the old Red Sea. Jonah sitting on a hickory bough. Up jumps a whale, where's your prophet now? Whippoorwill, whippoorwill, singing through the mountain hush. Whippoorwill shouting from the burning bush. Whippoorwill crying from the stable door. Sing tonight as you never song before. Hell's broke loose like a stomping mountain shoat. Sing till you burst the gold in your throat. Hell's broke loose for 40 miles around. Bound to stop your music if you don't sing it down. Now you know why Jesus shouted. You got to give it your all. In the words of your faith, in the spirit of your faith, you got to get your music out. If you don't sing it down, the devil wins. Lazarus is surrounded by this cacophony of voices that are trying to push him back into the cave. Push him back into the darkness, the gloom, the death. And Jesus shouts because he wants to make it absolutely clear. There's another way. There's a new way. There's a new day. Jesus redefines what it means to live. Jesus comes with an unpredictable, unprecedented, irrepressible call that radically reorients life. And it's a call not just to Lazarus and not just to that crowd, but to all of us. It's a call that says, keep your eyes open because Lazarus walks among us. Keep your ears open for Jesus calling us out of our darkness, out of our hopelessness, out of our tomb. Keep your ears open and maybe when we step out, and those around us in faith help to unbind us and set us free, maybe we'll discover, like Jesus, it's time to let our voices ring with the life that we have been given, the love that we have been given, and to share that message of hope that Christ alone gives to the world. Amen.